imagine it's a Thursday night. You're at a sleepover with your boys or your girls. There's one thing and one thing only. You have to beat the last level in Kingdom Hearts. It's three o'clock in the morning. Are you going to do it? What are you playing on? You're playing on the PlayStation and you're about to learn the history of the PlayStation with Off The Top Podcast. What's up, everybody? I'm Julian. Jordan, how you doing? Doing excellent, man. I can't wait to talk about something that's uh, been a big part of my childhood and kind of go through the iterations of time as I grew up and as it grew up and as our listeners grew up, they knew where they were at when the PlayStation X dropped or they knew where they were at when they were playing PS2. So I'm excited to go through this with everybody. Easily the biggest console of my childhood or generation. Maybe if I was born a few years later, it would have been Xbox. But PlayStation is where my heart is. PlayStation 2 is where it would always be. And it's very interesting to see where the PlayStation, the idea for the PlayStation was essentially founded early on in 1988. Sony wanted to get into uh, video games and not specifically video games but they kind of wanted to break into the like the cd-rom space that was kind of being cultivated and still not you know above vhs and cartridges as far as games but they they definitely wanted to get their hands dirty so what they did which is kind of a very interesting take nowadays if you think about what these two titans like, you know, fight against each other in some sort of way do in the console game. But Sony and Nintendo started a collab to develop something they called the Super Disc. And it's it's so surprising knowing what we know now about this deal. So Sony and Nintendo are working together. They're on the cutting edge. Um, they're working on this CD-ROM attachment for the Super Nintendo. And during this, you know what? Nintendo says, all right, Sony... I think we're going to go work with Philips. And what I know Philips has today is a couple electronics like washers and dryers and maybe a couple TVs. But I was like, are you kidding me? Like, this is the chance of a lifetime. So PlayStation says, all right, so all right, Nintendo, you played your cards that way. We'll play our cards this way. And Sony kind of decided to move on with this iteration and where the eventually they went on to make the first PlayStation um, which there was only 200 models produced and this could play Nintendo cartridges and could also play like audio CDs and CDs with and read CDs with video. Yeah, very interesting move by Nintendo. And I think the reason why jumping kind of like getting a little bit more into it is because Sony had a really sweet deal when it came to their agreement with Nintendo. They got to work on basically the CD and CD-ROM like technology and licensing, and they relegated Nintendo to manufacture the cartridges. So obviously, they kind of it seemed like you know from their sure standpoint, they they had a very fair deal, but not according to Nintendo. And so that backstabbing kind of spurred Sony on to kind of go on a little bit of a tear when it comes to you know when they started creating video games and after their kind of like their interesting little frankenstein baby monster whatever you would like to call it they started jumping into the PlayStation X or now what we know or consider as like the PlayStation 1 exactly and that's 1994 the PlayStation X is announced and you if you can't think of it now or the PlayStation 1 it's this very slim gray console 
you have two controller inputs. Um, it was released, obviously, with no Nintendo com- compatibility. And it essentially, you know, ended up selling over 300,000 units in the first month. It was a, a huge hit for consoles in 1994. The reason why it was such just a massive thing in the console world is because if you look at this guy, it kind of did everything that you would love a console to do, especially starting out. It had a 32-bit processor, which I mean, yeah, granted, guys, okay, let's let's think of this in 1994 time. A CD-ROM and just was cheaper and more powerful than any other console on the market as far as, you know, what they were competing with. And another thing, too, is around this time, Sony started acquiring some real big dogs in the game as far as development development goes with Konami, Namco, and more. So they kind of got the really, really hot start when it comes to just having a great console and then having people just making or like really, really talented development teams making these great games to come with it. And fast forward to like, you know, now the PlayStation 1 was the first console to sell over 120 million units. And granted, it took a decade, but still, what a feat. Truly phenomenal because those 300 unit, 300,000 units we talked about beforehand were only in Japan. It was later unveiled in 1995 in the U.S. And, you know, it took them eight years to get to 100 million units and then two more years to hit um, a fifth of that and get another 20 million. And the thing that I found so interesting was that obviously this is pre-internet. So if you wanted to play on two TVs with a friend, PlayStation used to have the cable, the link cable. So you'd link your PlayStations together. They would link to the TV. So essentially a LAN party to play with, you know, four players on two screens or however you wanted to set it up, which was the ultimate like friendship camaraderie time, seeing there was no Internet or online play or Google Stadia at that point. Those LAN parties got hot and heavy. I'm telling you what, Julian, uh, never been to one, but I just imagine that's what it was like, by the way. <laughs> but uh, um, so, yeah. And of, granted, you know, the PS1 wasn't always just taking trophies left and right. There happened to be a little bit of overheating issues when it came to the console. And so that's something that Sony had to work out themselves. But another cool thing, getting back on the things that they were doing right when it comes to PS1, was that they had a really, really cool edition of the PS1 that was just matte black. And it was called the Yorose version, which gave people a development kit to create their own games. And if you can imagine that, they were kind of giving the tools over to the people at that point and saying, like, go for it, create whatever game you think you can with this thing. And, you know, like having a very supportive role in the community and, you know, encouraging people to go out there and use their PlayStation to, you know, create video games, which I think was a very, you know, it might have been a subtle, a subtle play, but a very, very powerful one in the fact that they kind of gave the power to the people and the people really embraced them for that. And seeing that power that they gave to um, their consumers and also providing, as Jordan said, some major developers early on, you create some lasting memories. And some of the first games on the PlayStation that really took off, I I bet you've played one of these three games. Um, One of the games was Crash Bandicoot. The other game was Tomb Raider. 
And then you also have Metal Gear Solid. So I'm going to say there's a very good chance you have a memory playing this game or watching someone play this game as a child or going to that friend's house to play, you know, Crash Bandicoot or Tomb Raider or Metal Gear Solid. And you kind of create that lifetime customer acquisition connection to the PlayStation. You know, Julian, that just kind of like brought some nostalgia back for sure. Because, you know, I definitely like growing up, I those three games definitely had a presence in my childhood. And to this day, here's something that I don't think anybody knows about me except my listeners and you. I still to this day. Like Spyro the Dragon was a huge game for me and I loved it. Uh, I, you know, watched my dad play it. Uh, I played it, you know, and obviously we watched, you know, watched him play a whole bunch of video games. But to this day, if ever I just have like, you know, just want to like I'm doing work, either I'm programming or, you know, doing something and I want a little bit of background noise, I will put on the Spyro the Dragon soundtrack and just let it go and just be in the zone. So you know, definitely Sony has worked their way into, you know, my nostalgia pockets of my mind. And I, I love it that way. And you can see, you know, why PlayStation has been so successful, like their timing in the market was great. But not only to have a great first product, the second product they came out with, not including the pocket station, because that was kind of a flop a little too early on for mobile gaming. But the PlayStation 2 is unveiled in 2000, which changed the game. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, just so that we can kind of jump right into kind of like what they came to offer. So they they had backwards compatibility. They it was the best seller with over 155 million units sold. And another thing that was just gorgeous about it is uh, I'll go through a list. Metal Gear Solid, Jack and Daxter, Kingdom Hearts, God of War, Gran Turismo, Crash Bandicoot, etc. And so they continued to check their competitors when it came to the PS2. And not only did they they do this great jump to bring in more games, the PS2 could stand horizontally and vertically. It could play DVDs. Um, the controller that they added, the the second iteration of the DualShock gave greater mobility, um, you know, greater input, greater user enjoyment overall to make the experience as wholesome as possible. And so they're doing all these things and bringing in high definition graphics, which was, I think, 1080p at the time, um, and really stepping that bar up as technology advanced to make sure that you know, the customers that already loved PlayStation continued to play, but also brought in that next generation of gamers and the next generation for years to come. You know, if it's one thing that me and Sony know for a fact is that people like to be able to do it laying down and people like to be able to do it standing up. And so <laughs> I, I see you out there, Sony. But once again, I hate to be the bearer of bad, bad news, but there was also kind of uh, another mix-up or unfortunate happening for Sony. Uh, they did get stuck with a 2002 lawsuit when it came to basically the premise of this lawsuit was is that they were giving consumers faulty consoles. And so they were working through that as well. But, you know, I feel like a small speed bump in the road of Sony and PlayStation. And then they obviously dropped the PlayStation 2 Slim in 2004, which did away with kind of the 
the big chunkiness of it, uh, but also allowed a Ethernet jack to basically signal that Sony's thinking about the online game playing scene and how that's going to be important in the future. And was Sony right? Yeah, it's crazy what they're doing. I mean, people's love for Sony was so strong that Dan Holmes in the UK legally changed his name to Mr. PlayStation 2 Dan. Literally changed his name to Mr. PlayStation 2 Dan, which is a huge commitment. But, you know, he said he'd spent already over like 10,000 euros on games in the first two years that the console existed which I, I found was phenomenal. And another fun fact that I actually just learned while doing research for this was if you've played the PlayStation 2, it has a historic loading screen. You know what it is. Um, you get the sounds. You see these towers shooting up. And I actually learned today that those towers that you see shooting up are assigned with saved game data based on your memory card. So the more towers you're seeing on there, the more saved game data you have on those memory cards. And essentially, this was to help tell if data was being detected by the PlayStation or there may be some troubleshooting um, errors that need to be looked into. Wow. What a... I did not know that. And I, I think that's really clever on PlayStation's or Sony's part to be doing that. And as we see going further on down the road... They, they once again, they do something big and they drop the PS Vita, which once again was kind of, I think, ahead of its time when it came to like, you know, portable gaming in itself. Yeah, I had a, I had a PSP for a little while. It was cool. It was just yeah, a little ahead of its time, a little too, too much for mobile gaming, um, but I definitely enjoyed it. And then they, they announced another great follow-up product. Exactly. So they they dropped the PS3. And this guy had a Blu-ray optical disc drive, which um, I think it was uh, once again ahead of its time. Because at this time, Blu-ray was kind of this, this niche thing where, you know, you got a higher quality out of your DVDs. Um, you know, as if they were Blu-ray so that they were really pushing for, you know, advanced technology and intertwining their their gaming system with almost an entertainment system. The unfortunate part about the PS3 is that there was a noticeable groan when it came to the system being underpowered. And unfortunately, with the combo of being overpriced, sometimes, you know, at the beginning stages of this thing, uh, people are actually like laughing at what PlayStation was doing or weren't taking them seriously at all when it came to the PS3. And to what Jordan was saying about, you know, the Blu-ray com compatibility is that if you remember Blu-ray when it was popping, you needed a specific Blu-ray player instead of a regular DVD player at the time. You needed a specific Blu-ray player to play this. So, you know, what my assumption is, is Sony and PlayStation see people are willing to play extra to get a Blu-ray player. So if we put that Blu-ray player into our PS3, we can raise our price, um, keep you know things to a similar standard. Um, in this case, it ends up being a little underpowered and underperforming to some aspects. Try to pull a quick one, essentially, um, in terms of what we can do for our consumers. And you know, I think that's part of the reason why the PlayStation 3 kind of 
um, snuck behind at this time the Xbox 360 for a little bit was for some of these reasons. That's a good point, Julian. And you got to think that there's always this jockey of supremacy and dominance in the market and jockey of kind of space when it comes to, you know, these consoles duking it out. And another thing that I think kind of really royally shot Sony in the foot, which I am going to get a little nerdy for you guys for a second, is their their decision of a really, really quirky chipset in the PlayStation 3. So when it came to the PlayStation 3, the the units that they used to basically process the power in their workhorses uh, were designed by Sony, Toshiba, and IBM. And, you know, I think first off, I think there was a too many cooks in the kitchen scenario going on with kind of like a three-headed dragon. And so uh, when it came to the CPU, which is made up of like a 32, 132 gigahertz power PC-based power processing element, and then eight synergetic processing elements. And the reason why that this was just kind of like a really goofy thing was because that chipset wasn't really something of the time at all. And it was kind of like this anomaly where uh, it made it really difficult because it was on a different chipset than the previous generations or even like, you know, as far as architecture goes, it was totally different. And so what Sony had to do to kind of keep their backwards compatibility is work in the PS2's architecture into the PS3 so that it would be backwards compatible and then do their own thing. And so what happened is that developers found it almost like stupid to architect for something that's so expensive to develop because it was so niche and so like goofy in its own right. So with that, with just the, the, hurting of being underpowered and overpriced there also wasn't that many great games coming out for the ps3 because developers didn't see it financially viable to start creating games for this thing that you know was just so expensive to create for that's kind of you know why that ps3 dropped off a little bit as jordan mentioned it kind of got really convoluted um, on a developer side and um, just underperforming you know the the ps3 had if i remember correctly was had some features tried to either additions or features built in to if you guys remember this trend to help for 3d tvs so if that 3d tv trend were to catch on you'd be able to play some of those games with the stereoscopic glasses and 3d specific glasses that just never really caught on so never really was utilized but oddly enough the ps3 won an emmy didn't know they gave out emmys for these um, for their DualShock 3 controller. So the third iteration of the DualShock 2 analog controller. Um, and this Emmy was for technological impact. Um, so how they, you know, adjusted this controller for sensitivity and user engagement and accuracy and speeds um, was worthy of an Emmy at the time. So, you know, out of everything, maybe one good thing came out of the PS3 and they got an Emmy. When it comes to that, they are also doing good things with the PSN network and kind of, you know, bridging that gap when it came to being able to play online and, you know, getting into the digital space when it comes to gaming and, you know, having there be so many games on the PSN network that they could play and also be able to play like, you know, reboots 
are not even just reboots, but, you know, retro games as far as like PS1 games and PS2 games on there as well. You know, so the PS3 went through about three versions of kind of getting just sleeker and smaller. And then uh, something cool happened. And I'm sure Sony just enjoys thinking about it and talking about it. Uh, In uh, 2011, the PSN network halted due to a huge hacking outage that targeted 77 million users and got most of all of their information held in their PSN profile. Yeah, I remember that day on Twitter. I think it was, I think these hackers called themselves the Lizard Squad. Um, and yeah, just held the PSN and PlayStation hostage for a good period of time. And, you know, after all these obstacles, 2013 rolls around, it's a new day, it's a new dawn, and the PS4 releases their latest console um, or latest, I guess, number of console. Yeah, exactly. And so this thing was kind of Sony set, Sony step into the right direction. They shifted the chipset to something that actually made sense. They also kind of provided like a really cool updates when it came to actually the console itself, the controller once again, and uh, definitely up themselves back in the game with being kind of what they were known for. I mean, granted, not the cheapest, but like have a really powerful processor and another thing to i mean i'm gonna get called the chipset guy i know this but another thing that they did with the chipset that was really awesome was that they made it based off of kind of well let me just tell you the stats and then you tell me what this kind of sounds like to you so they had a a x86 amd 8 core cpu block and then they had a 1.84 teraflops amd radeon gpu which was block packaged in a uh the system on chip style thing that sounds a lot like a laptop or a computer to me and so what they were doing basically is they started creating their chipset over kind of like what a similar what would be really similar to a computer so what that does to the developers is oh shit this is going to be really easy to develop for we just kind of did something when we created this computer game so Sony, once again, redeeming themselves in a very cool way and opening themselves up to so many developers now being able to and almost wanting to create and develop games on their PS4. Where the chipset, but they also introduced, you know, HDR gameplay, um, their social media features where you could share games um, and, you know, moments super, super quick, uh, great user interface. I'm really caught up for it's, you know, it's slacking behind Xbox for a while. And now things are getting pretty even between PlayStation and Xbox, depending on what side you're on. People are really starting to enjoy just being able to play games on either console. Jordan, off the top of your mind, um, no particular order. Doesn't have to be a hard list, but if you could think of your top four PlayStation games, what would they be? Damn, Julian, that's a good question. Uh, yeah, no, I would say not in any particular order. I think that, gosh, dang, man, you put me on the spot here. You know what? I'm going to go with, you know, Spire of the Dragon. We've already talked about what that is about. Metal Gear Solid Snake Eater. Uh, Dragon Ball Z, Bodokai 3. I don't mess with any of that Tenkaichi <laughs> shit. Um, 
and I'm going to save my last one. And I, this sounds lame. I can't think of one, but if I do, I'm going to drop it randomly, probably in the middle of this podcast. How about you, Julian? I'm going to say over the, the period of the PlayStation, my games I enjoyed was the Jack and Daxter series. Um, Jack and da- Jack and Daxter, Ratchet and Clank. Uh, I'm going to put those, combine those. Um, I liked Psychonauts. I liked Kingdom Hearts, and I liked, uh, I think it was Sly Fox or Sly Cooper. Um, mm, Sly Cooper. Yeah. Uh, and those are primarily PS2 games. Um, PS2 just killed it. So those are my top four. There's probably a ton I'm missing, like NBA Shriek, Guitar Hero, Gran Turismo, uh, Midnight Club Dub Edition, so on and so forth. But the interesting thing here is that the, the best-selling game of all time with 18 million units is the last of us uh, more of a more uh, modern game with a great storyline um, very unique gameplay style um, and decision making and the you know the the greatest franchise of playstation history is gran turismo honestly both absolute and like certified bangers as far as I'm concerned. They could definitely absolutely make the top four list of anybody's gaming list who's kind of been around Sony and PlayStation. And, you know, I don't I don't think it's a stretch of the imagination to see why they wouldn't be. And if I could now remake my list, as I said, I was <laughs> <laughs> as convenient as you said, I am kicking off Dragon Ball Z Budokai 3, putting in Kingdom Hearts. And then leaving the last space for Gran Turismo slash The Last of Us. Because they're both excellent, excellent games. Sorry, all my DBZ fans. You know it was a thing that had to be made. Great game, but it it can't stand up to Sora in the game. (laughs) Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast on the history of PlayStation. We also have a podcast on the history of Nintendo. So, you know, those kind of link up in, in some aspects. And we also challenge you to send us, you know, your top four PlayStation games, you know, not in any order on the spot to um, you can email us the off the top podcast at gmail.com or on social at off the top cast. Jordan, any uh, parting trash talk for these uh, these PlayStation users? You know, usually I would take this time to just absolutely ravage some people because my trash talk game is on point. But another thing, if you guys are interested in kind of the history of PlayStation, you would definitely pique your interest about the future of PlayStation and how the possibilities of it being extinct are becoming kind of scarily real after Google's Google Stadia got dropped. And we just did a podcast on that, which you'll find on our, you know, on our channel. So if you are interested in kind of like gaming in general and seeing where the future of it's going, you definitely want to tune into that podcast itself. And once again, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening and game on. (laughs)